We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay. Today's podcast comes to you with three games left in the NBA regular season in the middle of the NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. And I'm here to talk to you about the Hawks offseason and what they can and cannot do to improve the roster for 23-24. So if you're a Hawks fan, which I'm assuming you are if you're listening to this podcast, you know that the Hawks were woefully inconsistent thanks in large part to just a really head-scratching decision to blow up their bench and replace, you know, really good, productive NBA rotation players like Danilo Gallinari, Kevin Herter, and DeLon Wright with Justin Holliday, Aaron Holliday, and Frank Kaminsky. And to the shock of absolutely nobody, the bench of the Hawks was absolutely atrocious in the first half of the season, and they had to blow it up mid-year. So they did that by acquiring Sadiq Bey, a few other minor pieces, uh, Bruno Fernando and Garrett Math- Garrison Matthews, and... The idea was basically to get some people that could help stop the bleeding whenever Trey Young left the floor. And it kind of worked. The Hawks were better in the second half. still weren't great. Obviously, as you know, big coaching change over the last third of the season where Quinn Snyder took over. And again, the Hawks were better, but it didn't necessarily show up in wins and losses. And like every other team in the NBA, the Hawks' biggest needs are wing defense and outside shooting. So the Hawks were absolutely horrendous, atrocious, awful at point of attack defense and this is something that you heard Quinn Snyder say throughout the season when he was when he took over and you saw it just on display in the Celtics series and it's kind of expected for Trey Young to be bad he's small he's not really committed to being a great defender and he spends a lot of energy on offense and so he's bad and you know he's gonna be bad but the Hawks expected to get high level defense on the ball from DeJounte Murray and you kind of crossed your fingers that if you got DeAndre Hunter healthy for an entire season, maybe he would unlock the defensive potential you saw in him when you took him as the number four pick in the 2019 draft. That didn't happen. Neither of those things really happened. Instead, Murray turned in the worst defensive season since his rookie year. And he posted negative rating in defensive LeBron. And LeBron is a metric that does like box adjusted plus minus with a bunch of other stuff. And throwing in. So LeBron is a metric. You hear me say that. So don't freak out. But he posted his lowest LeBron rating on defense since his rookie year, his lowest number of defensive win shares since 2019, and an overall defensive rating of 116, which is by far the worst of his career. Now, any of those things in isolation doesn't necessarily mean he's bad on defense, but when you take all those together, it means that by his standards, this was a bad defensive year. Now, now just to be clear, Murray is not a bad defender. His block and steal rates were about where they've always been, and he showed flashes of you know the lockdown reputation he had, but he wasn't the point of attack stopper. The Hawks paid you know three first round draft picks to get. If you're paying that much for a guy, he's got to be what you expect him to be. And if you are doubting that what I'm saying is true, go back and watch the Boston series and see how many times Derek White just blows by Dejounte Murray. And if DeJounte Murray can't check the third or fourth best offensive player on a good team. The Hawks have zero chance of ever being competent defensive team. He wasn't bad, but he has to be better. Him being just okay isn't good enough with the way this roster is constructed. The Celtics series also kind of laid bare some of the glaring weaknesses DeAndre Hunter has shown defensively. And again, if, if you watch the Hawks, you kind of know this. Hunters are a very good help defender, one of the best help defenders on the team. John Collins also a very good help defender. 
And this is why some of the defensive metrics do like him. But the truth is, and if you watch talks, you know this, he cannot check athletic wings. Ranking-wise, he's a net neutral. If you look at one of the metrics, like real plus minus, um, LeBron has him as a slight negative, but he's been a slight positive the last few years. So basically, overall, he's a neutral to slightly positive perimeter defender, which would be fine on this team if he was scoring 17 to 18 points a game. But he's not. And when you watch them, the eye test says he just can't guard these really athletic wings. And you watch the Celtics series. Jalen Brown made him like a statue in just about every game. But you say, okay, well, Jalen Brown is an all-NBA player. But, again, it's been a habit of people with more foot speed and more bounce making him look like a traffic cone. And he's good against big wings and power forwards. But he can't play at the four because he's a horrendous rebounder for his size. The four is probably his best fit defensively, but he doesn't rebound one of. Just to give you an idea what I'm talking about here, Hunter has a career average of 4.2 rebounds per game. By comparison, DeJounte Murray, who is 6'4", has a career average of 4.9 rebounds per game, and he grabbed 4.5 this year. That means that DeJounte Murray out-rebounded him. Now, there are always cases where you have point guards that are really high-level rebounders. You know, Russell Westbrook comes to mind. But Trey's career average is 3.7. And again, Hunter's is 4.2. That helps you give an idea of just how poor of a rebounder Hunter is at six foot eight, and what that means is that you essentially have to commit to playing Hunter as the three, but but with Trey being a defensive liability, the Hawks can't survive in the perimeter with Murray being good but not great, and Hunter being meh to solid. Again, if Hunter was a high level offensive player, you could get away with that, but to this point, he hasn't been. I think a lot of that goes down to fit. They go through a great breakdown of this on the Locked on Hawks podcast with Brad Rowland. But Hunter averages 15 points a game on decent efficiency, which is you know a pretty good number for a wing. But he only shot 35% from three this year after shooting 37% the year before. And this is what shocked me when they brought this up. He only shoots 34% on catch-and-shoot threes. He's not a good catch-and-shoot shot maker. That's not what he does. He is much, much better off the dribble. He is a rhythm jump shooter. Um, he shoots 53% on mid-range jump shots, and he also shoots 39% on pull-up threes. The too-long-didn't-read version of this is that Hunter is most effective as an ISO player. He's not a good finisher. He doesn't have a great handle. He doesn't make great passing reads. So he's a finisher. Give him the ball and let him finish. The problem is he's in an offense with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray who are two ball-dominant, high-usage guards, adding an ISO wing isn't the best fit. You're much better with a spot-up 3-and-D wing or a wing like Bogey and Kevin Herter, who can execute pick-and-rolls while the guards pick up the ball. That's something Hunter just doesn't do well, something that you know Kevin Herter did do well, but you know it's great, great job trading him away. Um, so it's not that Hunter isn't valuable. It's just that what the Hawks do with their current roster construction just doesn't maximize the skill set. So the problem is that if you want to improve on Hunter and get a better wing, the Hawks don't have a lot of options. Barring another set of, you know, really, really dumb moves like trading Kevin Herter for nothing, the Hawks are going to pay the luxury tax this year. That that severely limits their options and trades because it limits the amount of money they can bring back. And it also means that you can't really do a lot of high-profile signs because 
if you're basically locked into only having the taxpayer mid-level exception to get a veteran off the free agent market, which is like $5 million. So it's like whatever vet you can get for around that much is what you can go get. And even if the Hawks did clear up cap space somehow, you're looking at the free agent roster for this year, and it's either overpriced vets that the Hawks can't afford, like Brooke Lopez or Chris Middleton if he opted out, or it's overpriced veterans that the Hawks can't afford or wouldn't want, like Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And to further complicate things, the Hawks' trade assets are really depleted because, as I mentioned earlier, you traded three first-round picks for DeJounte Murray. So in short, the Hawks can either do like the full-on cannonball and luxury tax pool and try to sign a big fridge free agent or bring one in by a trade, which is more realistic, or they can package some of their core players with one of their promising and cheap young players like a Jalen Johnson or A.J. Griffin to fill holes. The issue is that players that defend and shoot are hard to acquire because everyone in the league wants them. Nobody's giving those players away. So if you want a good one, you got to pay a king's ransom, which is why it's better to draft and develop your own. So instead of finding a single player that can do both, the Hawks may be forced to find specialists that can individually fill each role. And again, that requires a bunch of roster movement and a bunch of roster management that makes it really, really hard. So... I've got a four-part process here that's going to get the Hawks ready for the 2023-24 season. First thing is creating a roster spot because as of right now, the Hawks have 14 people with guaranteed contracts for next year, and you only get 15 total slots. So the Hawks need to release Vit Kretschy, I think that's how you say his name, Garrison Matthews, and or Tyrese Martin. That only saves you about $5 million, but none of them are in Atlanta's long-term plans, and that trims Atlanta's roster from 14 to 11 which opens the potential for multiple roster additions. And I don't know if people realize this, but right now with the Hawks at 14, we don't even have slots for both of our own draft picks, number 15 and 46 this year. A second round draft pick is a long shot to make your roster, but if you did have someone you like, you don't even have a roster spot for that player. So the Hawks definitely have to trim some of the fat off their roster. And I would say that these three cuts is where you start. Step two is the Hawks need to go ahead and try and trade for upgraded wing help. Now, This is going to sound crazy because it's not a trade that this team would likely make, but my number one target would be OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. He rates as one of the best wing defenders in the NBA by every metric you can think of in the eye test, and he's a better spot-up shooter than Hunter, shooting 40% as a career high in 2021 from three, 36% two seasons ago, and 39% this past season, averaging 16 points a game in 21 17 points a game in 22, and 17 points a game in 23. So he's giving you roughly the same production as Hunter, maybe even a little bit better with better defense, and he fits better with the Hawks roster because he is a spot-up shooter. The one concern with Ananobi is health, but that's the same concern you've had with Hunter. Ananobi this past year played 67 games, which is the same number that DeAndre Hunter played, and he is also 25 like DeAndre Hunter and is on a contract with another two years for $18 million per year on average again you're getting a player that isn't necessarily a better player but is a better fit for the hawks he's a better defender at 6 7 230 he can guard up and he's athletic enough to guard down the issue is again i don't know why if you're toronto you would make this trade financially it does work you can trade deandre hunter for Ananobi straight up and throw in draft picks which the hawks don't have a lot of but you could throw in either two draft picks, a first and a second in the future, or one of the guys you don't want to part with like A.J. Griffin plus an additional pick, 
With the fact that their salaries are relatively close, it doesn't require you to do a whole lot of extra roster juggling. But again, the question here is, if you're the Raptors, why would you make this pick? Again, they're the same age. They make roughly the same amount of money, so I don't really understand what makes the Raptors better unless they think that they can unlock something in DeAndre Hunter that has not yet been unlocked in Atlanta, which is possible. But it would definitely make the Hawks better because <laughs> you get that ball-stopping, lockdown wing that you need, and you're adding spot-up shooting, which is really what works best with Trey DeJounte. Now, the other route is if you're going to go for a one-sided player player that's just good on one side of the ball and you're going to use a trade, you could trade DeAndre Hunter straight up for Bojan Bogdanovic from Detroit. Now, the other bogey is a really good score, 20 points per game for Detroit on good efficiency. He's a 6-7 wing. Now, this risk is this trade is making you worse on defense. Bogdanovich isn't a great defender, and he's going to be 34 this upcoming year. So the age here is the real risk. But Boyan Bogdanovich shot 41% from three, 49% in the field, and averaged 21 points a game. And before you talk about him having a career, you're on a terrible Pistons team. The 20, the 20 points per game wasn't an anomaly. His three years in Utah, who was a good team, he averaged 17 and 18 points per game on 39% shooting in those two years. So he has two years left on a very tradable contract. He'll be 36 when the contract is over. He does not seem to be slowing down. And he won't fix the Hawks' perimeter issues on defense, but he'd provide the shot-making that was very, very sorely missed since John Collins forgot how to shoot this season. And Hunter had an off year from three. Again, this does make the Hawks bad on def- worse on defense, but but I'm to the point where I'm saying I'm actually okay with the Hawks just saying screw it. We're going to be a top a bottom five defense, but we're going to be a top three offense because at least then you have an identity as opposed to this year's Hawks team that was a bottom eight defense and a better than average but not great offense. At least in going this all offensive route, you're not strapping yourself financially with a long term contract and you're getting better at the wing position. So. Not saying that's a great move, but at least it would help create some kind of con- some kind of identity, and it's a player that makes sense for the Hawks. As for Detroit, I think this deal is probably more realistic for them because in Hunter, they're getting a player that's 10 years younger almost and still has potential upside. So Hunter would fit along with their timeline with Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham and the other young pieces they've gotten. It would make a lot of sense for them. So this is a trade that I wouldn't love as much as getting OG and Anobi. But I do feel like it's a trade that would make sense. Now, on to number three. The Hawks have got to find a third point guard. The Aaron Holiday experiment was a failure. And this goes back to the Hawks letting DeLon Wright go because he was too expensive at $8 million a year. DeLon Wright was the perfect complement to play alongside Trey and DeJounte because not only is he a very, very good defender, he can score without the ball, and if need be, he can play on the ball and handle the ball. But... Instead, we let him go because we didn't want to go into luxury tax, and we went with the discount bargain bin point guard Aaron Holiday, who was a good defender and an inconsistent shooter and not a great initiator of the offense. It just didn't work. The problem is point guards aren't cheap, and so the ideal solution is a pricey point guard like a Bruce Brown, who is currently having a great postseason with the Denver Nuggets, or Fred Van Fleet. Brown's attractive because he defends and he can play with or without the ball. When he was in Brooklyn the previous year, he was basically used as the role man in offense. They played him as a center on offense. And now with the Nuggets, 
he is the primary ball handler when Jamal Murray's off the floor and Jokic is off the floor. He attacks the rim with relentless pressure. He makes 36% of his threes almost, and he's having a great playoff run that's probably going to draw his price. That's probably going to drive his price up to the point where the Hawks most likely can't afford him. But that's who you're looking for. Van Fleet would give you ball handling, three-point shooting, and pretty decent defense. Probably not as good as his reputation, but better than what the Hawks have and Trey Young. But he'd probably have to take a pay cut and reduce role to come to the Hawks. So again, I don't know if that's realistic. A more realistic option might be to sign a defensive-minded point guard like Javon Carter or Pat Beverly for much, much less money. You could probably get one of those for the mid-level exception. Carter is basically a younger version of Patrick Beverly. He is less of a household name, but he would give you really, really plus defense and the ability to occasionally knock on a three-pointer. Beverly is a career 37% shooter, although his numbers have dipped a little bit the last couple years. But Carter knocked down 42% this year and 39% the year before. And he's only 27 years old as opposed to Beverly, who was 34. So that's a potential really, really good fit. Step four, if you cannot trade for a good wing, go find a free agent wing that can help your team. I'll go and tell you, though, the options are not great. So in the 3 and D category, a couple of names, you know, Dylan Brooks from Memphis, who apparently they do not want back. And Jay Crowder, who's going to be a free agent after playing part of the shoe at the Bucks. Now, Brooks reportedly wants to get paid like an elite three and D guy, which he's not. I think he's like a thirty-one or thirty-two percent three-point shooter, but he is a really, really good defender. And Jay Crowder is slightly overrated, slightly on the older side at thirty-two, and wants a slightly bigger role than he probably should at this stage of his career, which is why he basically pouted his way out of Phoenix. Um, but again, those are guys you could grab for just cash, pulling your bench and would be a, would be immediate upgrade to your team. Again, don't know if you can actually afford them, though, with the Hawks' cash limitations. Then if you want to go for just pure shooting, the other route you can go for is like a Cam Johnson, a Seth Curry, or a Joe Ingles. Now, Johnson is the most attractive and youngest option, but he's a restricted free agent for Brooklyn. They're going to break him off and give him a huge bag, so I don't think he's going to be even an option for anybody. And Curry and Ingles are still valuable offensive players, but they're both well into their 30s and both are questionable finish at this age of their careers. So if you sign one of them, you're basically getting pure three-point shooting, which again is only half of what the Hawks are missing at this point. The last option, if you want to go for pure defense, you can grab someone like a Josh Okogie or a Matisse Teibel. And this is again is going one-dimensional the other way where you can add a true lockdown wing Akogi playing for Minnesota currently, Matisse Tybal in Portland. And they're going to be unrestricted free agents. You could just pay cash for them. And assuming that either improves at all on offense, you're getting an athletic switchable wing that can match up with the Tatums and Browns of the world and won't cost a ton. You just have to know that they're going to be paid off, played off the floor in crunch time if they're not hitting threes. So looking at this Hawks offseason as a whole, the options, they're limited. They're not sexy. I think it's highly likely that the Hawks run back a great deal of this roster with Quinn Snyder to see if he can make it work. But I'm telling you, I am more or less out on DeAndre Hunter. I just don't think he's a great fit here. I'm willing to see if John Collins can get healthy and find his three-point shot again, which if he does, he is a very valuable piece. 
and I'm willing to see if the Hawks can figure out a better way to utilize DeJounte Murray and Trey Young together and to get Murray back up to being an elite perimeter defender as opposed to just a pretty good one. But the truth is, the Hawks roster is currently constructed, I don't think can be a good defensive team. And I question whether or not they can be a really high-level offensive team, which is what we were when we made that unexpected run to the conference finals. We were an elite offensive team and a bad but not horrible defensive team. And with Trey playing at a really high level, that was enough. Right now, the Hawks simply don't have the offensive pieces around Trey and DeJounte to make the spacing work. And I don't see how they're going to fix it this offseason. But if you have any great ideas, I'd love to hear them. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, at Tide Run Sports, or email us, TideRunSports at gmail.com. Uh, Billy the Intern, will you make sure to actually check the email? I don't know if we've been... There's no telling what's in there. I haven't looked at it in about three or four weeks. All right. This has been Dave Bethay for the Tide Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.